This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The so-called racial reckoning brought a waterfall of promises from American institutions to do better on representation in their ranks. That includes the NFL, where reporter Jim Trotter stepped up to ask tough questions. When the league didn't renew his contract, the NFL said it was just business. But Trotter said it was just racism. If I'm not willing to stand up and fight for what is right, then I can't complain about the things that are wrong. Discrimination and the NFL press corps coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Journalism is the job of asking hard questions and asking them even when they make powerful people uncomfortable. By that standard, Jim Trotter was a reporter's reporter. As a journalist covering the NFL, he didn't leave the league or anyone in it off the hook. In recent years, he became a key voice in calling out the NFL over its failures to include more African-Americans on the business side of a league where a majority of the players are black. That was a daring position, considering that Trotter worked for NFL networks and was willing to question Commissioner Roger Goodell directly right before the 2022 Super Bowl. Why does the NFL and its owners have such a difficult time at the highest levels hiring black people into decision-making positions? If I had the answer right now, I would give it to you. I would have implemented it. Uh, I think what we have to do is just continue and find and look and step back and say, we're not doing a good enough job here. And we are the ones that have to make sure we bring diversity deeper into our NFL and make the NFL an, exclu- an inclusive um, and diverse organization. Trotter followed up with a similar inquiry in 2023, again, right before the Super Bowl. He got the same kind of answer, but a month later, NFL Network sent him a different message. Trotter's contract wouldn't be renewed, ending his five-year run at the organization. Now Trotter is suing for racial discrimination and retaliation, saying he was subjected to racist responses several times when he asked tough questions about hiring. The NFL is denying the charges, and a word has reached out to multiple parties named in the suit and in the surrounding events for comment. We'll include links to any statements on the show page for this episode. Jim Trotter is now a senior opinion writer for The Athletic. He is also the author of Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. And Jim Trotter joins us now. Jim Trotter, welcome to A Word. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. We know that you were pressing Goodell in front of cameras to be accountable on diversity pledges. Off camera in your workplace, what kind of representation was happening or not happening that caused you concern working in sort of the press core of the NFL Network? You know, it's interesting, Jason. When I first got to the NFL Network in 2018, I noticed that there were no black senior managers in the newsroom. And I found that to be a little uncomfortable because... We're covering a player population that's 60 to 70 percent black, and yet the newsroom is not reflective of the community that it's covering. So I remember I went on air and, and brought that up in relation to whatever it was we were talking about. My immediate supervisor, who was one of two managers in the newsroom at that time, who happened to be white, asked me about it. And he said to me, you know, if what you're saying is that we don't have black representation among the managers, you're correct. He goes, I do try and talk to as many people as I can before decisions are made, etc. And he meant people of color, black people. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I appreciate that and I respect that. I said, but at the same time, 
there is no one who shares these players' cultural and social experiences, life experiences at the table when decisions are being made. And it kind of ended there. And so just sort of, you know, along the way, I would bring this up um, and raise this question again in terms of our coverage and and the lack of of Black people involved in the decision-making process. And really, where it changed for me, where I became more outspoken on it, was, I would say, 2021, when we were on that Zoom call and during the pandemic, and there were 40-plus people on the Zoom call from the newsroom. And one of the reporters um, relayed an experience he had had where he had been out and included in the group was Terry Pagula, the owner of the Buffalo Bills. And the reporter claimed during this call that Terry Pagula, in response to a discussion about social justice by the players, had made the comment that if Blacks think it's bad here, they should go back to Africa and see how bad it really is. And so I listened to that and I didn't say anything. And and the call, Zoom call got near the end and I raised my hand and I said, are we not going to address what we just heard here? And the managers told me it was the first time they had heard it. They were going to talk to the reporter about it and get more information. So I said, okay, cool. So every week I would ask, where are we at with this? I would always get the same answer. New York is aware of it. They said they're investigating it, yada, yada, yada. So finally, after what seemed like you know months, my boss came back to me and said, I finally have an answer for you. And he said, New York said it's now an HR matter. And that's it. And I said, oh, so we're going to sweep it under the rug. And he said, I'm just telling you what I was told. And so at that point, I knew this can't go on, you know, because we had already been dealing with the issue of discrimination in terms of the hiring practices on the field, where we look at head coaches. And so I'm saying, if we have a league in which the wealth of these billionaire owners is built on the backs of Black labor, and Black people don't have representation at the highest levels in the decision-making process, that's a problem. And so I just kept bringing it up, and I kept bringing it up internally. That's the thing people don't realize. They see me ask the question of the commissioner, and they think it was one of those gotcha moments. Well, it wasn't. I had been bringing it up internally for two years. What are we going to do about this? How is it that we can have a newsroom where we have no black managers, no black copy editors, and no full-time black news assistants, and yet say we are fairly and accurately covering this player population. You can't. This is what's key about the story you just told. You're on a Zoom call. You hear this. But I've always assumed that comments like this are probably incredibly common. For those who aren't familiar with your lawsuit— What other internal comments were you hearing? What other sort of racist statements were being made, being bandied about that you were aware of that are sort of part of your suit against the league? Well, what it was, it's a culture. And I've made this statement before, even to the people at the network. And I made it on air one time when John Gruden resigned as coach of the Raiders. And I was scheduled to go on that morning to be part of the group that was going to discuss it. And so I told my supervisors that. This is just a tree in a forest of a racist culture within the NFL. And I said, I'm going to tell the story about what Jerry Jones said to me to reflect that even further. Because what we were dealing with was John Gruden saying, in in reference to DeMora Smith, the head of the NFLPA, Players Association, referring to him as having Michelin lips, right? 
and Demora Smith is black. So obviously we know how offensive that is. And so I said, you know, I want to go on the air and I want to talk about this culture where I feel black men are under attack, this hostile culture towards blacks. And I said, I'm going to tell the story about Jerry Jones. I'm out at the Hall of Fame game um, when the Cowboys and Steelers are getting ready to play. And Jerry Jones is the owner of the Cowboys. And so at the time, I'm talking to Will McClay, who is black and one of the top personnel people for the Cowboys. And I was talking to him about why HBCU players weren't being drafted. And so we were having a good discussion about him whatnot. And sometime into the conversation, Jerry walks up. And I've known Jerry for years. And so I said to Jerry, point blank, you know, I want to ask you, I said, why do you all have such a hard time hiring black people into decision-making positions? And Jerry's response to me was, well, blacks get 70% of the revenue in the NFL. And he starts going on about all of that. And I let him finish. And I said, well, first of all, that's not true. I said, but second of all, that's not what I ask you. I said, what I ask you is why do you all have such a hard time hiring black people into decision-making positions? And again, he goes off and starts to tell me about his story of how he basically had to, to go all in and, and went out on a limb to purchase the Cowboys and this and the other. And so I said to him again, I said, Jerry, that's not what I ask you. And he looked at me and he said, Jim, I'm starting to get a little defensive. And I said to him, Jerry, I'm not talking about you individually. I said, I'm talking about owners as a collective. I said, I voted for you for the Hall of Fame. I said, so you know there's no, no issue there and whatnot. And I'll never forget the look on his face. It changed. It flipped. And he said to me, Jim, if Blacks feel some kind of way, they should buy their own team and hire who they want to hire. And in my head, I thought, okay, there it is. And so I said, are you all going to change your guidelines for purchasing a franchise? And he kind of looked at me funny and I said, because you know that anyone who purchases a franchise up front has to write a check for 30% of the value of that team. I said, so let's say conservatively, the next team is going to sell for $4 billion. I said, how many black people do you know who can write a check for $1.2 billion? And then he did what most white owners will do. And he gave me the, the same tired names. Jay-Z, Oprah, that sort of thing. And I said to him, Jerry, Jay-Z couldn't write a check for a billion two unless his wife gave him half of it. And Art Rooney had walked up. Art Rooney is the owner of the Steelers. And I said to Art what we were talking about. And I complimented Art Rooney on the fact that the Steelers are one of the more progressive organizations. And then ultimately, Jerry said to me, well, can we agree to disagree? And I said, sure. Now, that's the backstory. So when I tell that to my bosses, they tell me not to go on the air with it. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, you know, if you say this on the air, it's going to explode. And I said, of course it will. And they said, well, we need to talk it through. And in my mind, I knew right then what was happening. And I'm saying to myself, so you all want me to go ask Jerry, Jerry, did you really say this to me? And if Jerry says, no, I didn't say it, then I'm supposed to say, I lied. I'm supposed to call myself a liar, right? And so I was told not to go on the air with it. So when I sat down on the desk, I remember saying right then, I may not be able to talk about Jerry Jones specifically. I said, but I can give my feelings on where I am on this whole thing. And I remember saying how I was exhausted about these constant attacks on black men within the NFL. 
And then I just, you know, went on and said the other things I had to say. But that was the point, really, Jason, where I was like, I just can't take this anymore. I can't sit by and try and just, you know, go along to get along or accept it, whatever, however you want to phrase it. I want you to break this down like simply and concisely because it's something I don't think a lot of people understand. Why is it so important to have black representation in the news coverage in the NFL press corps? Why is that important? Not just since George Floyd was killed, but in general, why is that so important? Let me give you the most simplistic answer from my experience, right, at the NFL Network. So I was sent to North Carolina to do a story, off-season story on Keenan Allen, Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver. And while in North Carolina, I'm meeting with his family, his mom, his dad, siblings, all these different people, right? So I write my story. And in the story, I mentioned that one of the reasons Keenan wound up at UC Berkeley was because his brother had gone there. His brother had a different parent, different surname. So in the story, I mentioned his brother and whatnot. So one of the editors comes back and says, well, Keenan's brother has a different last name than Keenan has. And I said, yeah, I said they have a different parent. Well, shouldn't we identify them as half brothers? And I said, no. I said, absolutely not. I said, within the black community, we don't differentiate. You're either our brother or our sister. There is no half brother, half sister. And so it was an innocent question by the copy editor. I'm in no way trying to embarrass the copy or anything like that, but I'm saying that is reflective of why we need diversity in a newsroom so that we understand different cultures and how something you think is non-offensive is actually highly offensive within our culture. The other thing I would say to you is this. There were times I would bring up stories where I would be writing from the perspective of Black men and what they would have to say about the league and the owners was very critical. And now when I write it, and again, I am a columnist, which means I'm supposed to be giving my opinion. And now you tell me because you know it's not going to sit well with the league or the owners, you need to go talk to the owners and get a comment from them on this. Or you need to go talk to the former commissioner and get a comment on this. And I said, why? I'm not writing from their perspective. I'm writing on the perspective of these men. And so that what they would say is, well, we're trying to protect you from the owners or the league coming after you. And I said, no, you're not trying to protect me. You're trying to protect yourself. When I would have an issue with that, now I have no one who looks like me or shares my cultural experiences or my life experiences to be able to say, this person might have a better understanding of why I feel so strongly about my position on this story. I have no one who is an ally in the room when that is happening. So those are a couple of reasons why it is so important to have a diverse newsroom. We're going to take a short break and we come back more on racism allegations at the NFL Network. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered A Word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. 
You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about racial discrimination and the NFL press corps with journalist Jim Trotter. A moment ago, we heard your exchange with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in 2022. Here's a clip from the 2023 press conference. I asked you about these things last year, and what you told me is that the league had fallen short and you were going to review all of your policies and practices to try and improve this. And yet a year later, nothing has changed. When are we in the newsroom going to have a black person in senior management? And when will we have a full-time black employee on the news desk? We did go back and we have reviewed everything we've been doing across the league. And I'm not specific, do not know specifically about the media business. We'll check in again with our people, but I am comfortable that we made significantly progress across the league. And that includes in the media room. And so those are things that we'll continue to look at and hopefully make real progress to. I can't answer because I do not know specifically what those numbers are today. You know, Jim, I have to say this. We've seen uh, that because the league operates like a bunch of individual franchises, people can hire whoever they want, whatever they want. But the question to you is, did you know that you were putting your job at risk when you asked that question in 2023? Had you come to the point internally where it's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm pretty much all in at this point. I'm going to ask this question again. Did you know that when you asked the question of Roger Goodell? You know, honestly, I didn't think about it at that point. I, I thought about it more the previous year. To publicly challenge your boss, someone as powerful as Roger Goodell, you know that if you poke the bear, there can be consequences. So I, I think I thought about it more the previous year. Earlier this year, I just felt there was no way I could not ask that question again, knowing that nothing had changed from the previous year, despite my attempts internally to have this addressed. So the other thing there when I asked that question of Roger Goodell this year was, you have to go back to November, a few months earlier. I knew my contract was coming up at the end of March. And so I said to my agent, hey, I know I've ruffled some feathers here with some of these questions I've asked. Can you check and see what's going on? I said, because if they're not going to renew my contract, it's time for me to start looking for something else. And he called Sandy Nunes, who is a vice president over on-air talent, to ask, hey, where do we stand? And she told him she could envision no reason I wouldn't be brought back that I've got a lot of support in L.A. and New York, everyone loves me, um, but that it might come with a pay trim because they were going through budget cuts. But there is no reason to believe Jim won't be brought back. So that's November, mid-November. So we fast forward to February. I asked Roger Goodell that question. Three weeks later, I'm at the scouting combine, and Sandy Noon is asked to meet with me. And she says, I've been meaning to ask you, are you in alignment with the newsroom? And I knew exactly what she meant. And I said, of course not. I said, I can't be in alignment with a newsroom that doesn't have black representation. She said, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. She said, you know, it's tough to fight corporate headwinds. Sometimes you have to compromise. And I said, Sandy, I feel like I've compromised enough. I said, I compromised when Terry Pagula was alleged to have made the comment and we swept it under the rug. I said, I compromised when Jerry Jones made the statement and I was told not to go on the air with it and I didn't. 
I said, I compromised during the DeMar Hamlin situation where he nearly died on the field and the team started warming up again. And the league says that they didn't tell the teams to warm up. And yet I have people who have told me that that directive did come from the league. And I was told to stand down and to not report it. And I didn't. I said, so I feel like I've compromised enough. But the one thing I am not going to compromise on in my integrity, I said, so I just want to be clear here. Are you now saying that my contract will not be renewed? And she said, I don't know. It's being discussed. So what changed between November and March, other than me asking the commissioner again? You're not the only person to sue the NFL for racial discrimination. It's one thing to sue a team because the teams operate like individual franchises, basically 32 individual franchises. But the league itself is the overall organization. And we've seen, uh, you know, you have Brian Flores, who was the the former head coach in the Miami Dolphins. Then he went to the Steelers. Now he's a defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. And he sued for racial discrimination. My question for you, Jim, when did you decide to sue? Because you know there's got to be tons of, of, of black people in league offices. Well, there ain't that many. Tons of black people who work in individual franchises who are like, you know what? Forget about it. I'm just going to find another job or I'll suffer through it. What made you decide as a journalist, I'm going to sue the largest, most popular, most well-funded and frankly, government-backed sport in the United States of America? The thought first crossed my mind after the conversation with Sandy Nunes, when she told me they were discussing whether or not I would be brought back. I knew what that meant. That meant my contract was not going to be renewed. So it was in that very moment that that it first crossed my mind that this was clear retaliation for me standing up and fighting for Black people within the NFL. So when she told me my contract, when she told my agent, she never spoke to me, when she told my agent my contract was not being renewed, Obviously, my first thought was to find another job. And so that's when I began talking to some people, including the athletic, and the athletic made me an offer. And what I said to the athletic before I accepted the offer was, look, there is a possibility that I am going to file a suit against the NFL. Are you comfortable with that? And what I was told is, yes, you know, we understand. We even talked it through a little bit. And they said, we're okay with that. We would be supportive and whatnot. So I still hadn't made a final decision on what whether or not I was going to sue them. And then, Jason, um, during the time following that, I end up winning this award, um, the Bill Nunn Jr. Award from the Pro Football Writers of America, which goes to someone with a long and distinguished career and covering the NFL and whatnot. And so you're inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then I also learned that I was going to be named Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. So those two things came down the pike, which were totally unexpected to me. And what it did is it got me to thinking a lot about legacy. I'm 60 years old. So as I say, I'm closer to the finish line than starting line. And I just kept thinking, if I'm not willing to stand up and fight for what is right, then I can't complain about the things that are wrong. And so during this time, you know, a lot of people don't know, um, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and, you know, the oncologist had told me that he didn't have long. 
And so we would talk about some of the things I was going through. And he said to me, he was proud of me. It was really at that moment that I knew what I was going to do. I figure, Jim, this happens because this happens everywhere. But every single time black people speak up against an institution, there are always people of all colors, white, black, Asian, Latino, whatever, who come up and tell you off the record, sometimes on the record, hey, I support you, I support you. What have you gotten on the record and off the record in terms of support? You know, have any players come out and said at the end of a press conference, you know, hey, I just want to shout out my boy, Jim Trotter. You know, we hear you, we see you. I mean, obviously, you know, the the level of respect that you command in the profession is huge. I'm sure people have come out and spoke for you there, but what are some off the record and on the record uh, words of support you've heard since announcing your lawsuit? What's interesting is that my agent represents some NFL players as well. He said, don't expect to hear from any of them publicly. Guys are concerned about their checks. And we had just seen someone like Jerry Jones tell players during the kneeling demonstrations that if any player on my team takes a knee, he won't be a cowboy anymore. So I got it. And my agent was right. So I've not seen one active player publicly say anything about this, even though it's interesting that I'm actually fighting for them as well in terms of making sure that they are covered accurately and fairly. We're going to take a short break. We come back more about racism in sports media with veteran journalist Jim Trotter. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with longtime sports journalist Jim Trotter about his racial discrimination lawsuit against NFL networks. You know, Jim, one of the things that I've talked about uh, both here on my podcast and other media outlets is uh, the dearth of people like you. And, And this is what I mean by that. Not just obviously you've got tons of awards and accomplishments, but we've been seeing that there has been a move in sports coverage, not just the NFL, but sports coverage across the board of removing black journalists from sports coverage. But increasingly, black men and women who went to journalism school, who went to McGill, who went to University of Washington, got degrees in covering journalism, started in high school and moved their way up to the NFL, MLB, professional soccer. They're being removed in favor of black people who are former athletes. How does the removal of black journalists in exchange for black former athletes change how the kinds of issues that you write about and the kind of thing that you're suing is, has it changed the public's ability to understand those issues? How does it change how those things are even covered? Sometimes they're not covered. I mean, just being frank. Um, Look, this is what I found, and and I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I think I'm on safe ground here. Many former athletes who move into the um, media landscape are not going to touch certain things that could jeopardize their paycheck. They're just not. And some of them have relationships with owners or whoever from the past, and so they may look the other way or just totally ignore something. And to me, that's the danger. If all you're looking for is a cheerleader, hire whoever you want and label it as that. The biggest disappointment in this whole process for me have been the people who are journalists 
who speak on my case without actually reading the complaint or without talking to me first about it. So Stephen A. Smith has the commissioner on his show, right? And he asks the commissioner about me being, um, my contract not being renewed. And the commissioner says, oh, it was just a budget cut thing. And I, so when that was all over, I texted him and I said, man, I saw the interview. I just wish you had called me first to get some background. And it would have shown you that what the commissioner said was untrue. He comes back and says to me, that's on you. We had been advertising the commissioner was coming off for a week and a half. And I also spoke to a mutual friend who gave me background on the case. So I texted him back and I said, you know, and I'm trying to be cool because I'm not into this black man on black man, you know, crime thing. And I said to him, hmm, I said, a lot of assumptions there. But I also thought as journalists, we were taught you go directly to the source and not to secondhand information. And now that set them off. I got all caps coming at me. I got exclamation points coming at me and all this other stuff. And he's telling me that um, how this wasn't about me. And, you know, ESPN is a partner with the NFL. And he didn't have to ask Roger Goodell that question at all and this, that, and the other. And so finally I said to him, well, you can have me on to get my side. I said, your move. And he said, again, the exclamation points, that ain't happening. This wasn't about you. And I did you a courtesy by even getting the commissioner to comment on it. So anyway, at the end of it, I just said, a courtesy, huh? I said, man, I appreciate you. And I left it alone. And I got to thinking, I'm like, as journalists, are we simply seeking a comment? Or are we seeking the truth? So don't sit up here and tell me what a great journalist you are if all you are seeking is a comment instead of the truth. You can disagree with me. You can tell me I'm an idiot for filing the lawsuit. And as you went on your podcast and said, I should have known what was going to happen. And I didn't even see it. People were texting me about his podcast where he says he reached out to two black executives not at the NFL or ESPN, and ask them what would they have done if someone like me had put them on the spot like that publicly. And they both said they would have got my ass up out of there. And what I wanted to say to them, do you even understand the law? Because if either of those individuals had done that to someone, they would be breaking the law. But you're going to go ahead and say, I should have known what could happen. There's a difference between knowing what could happen and the consequences of those actions. So to me, that's the, that's the disappointing thing. The only disappointing thing in this whole process is that I would just ask journalists, if you're going to speak on this, I don't mind you having an opinion. You can tell me I was foolish, whatever you want. All I ask is that you read the complaint or if you have questions, just call me. I don't think that's too much to ask. What would success look like for you in your lawsuit? And, and I want to put this in context because for the outside world, right? People who aren't heavy, heavy sports fans like I am. When Colin Kaepernick sued the NFL, 
there were a lot of people who were like, well, I don't know. This isn't, you know, it, it ended and there was a settlement and nothing changed. And Rihanna performed at the Super Bowl, right? Like a lot of people were like, well, they don't, they don't see the point. He got a night contract. They don't see the point of his lawsuit, right? They, they, some people complain that he backed down when he should not have. Um, Brian Flores, suit against the NFL. People are, you know, some people who are critics, even well-meaning critics are like, well, what's it going to do? Is it going to add another Rooney rule? I mean, he's still working. What's the issue, et cetera, et cetera. So for you, what would success look like? Because I think a lot of times in these kinds of suits, the public, even the public that nominally supports you, it's so hard to envision what success looks like that they're critical even when what you do is, is part of a larger movement. So what's a successful lawsuit for Jim Trotter? Isn't it a mission from the league? What, what happens? Yeah, I can give you part of it. The rest of it, we'll have to wait until this thing is ultimately resolved. But the part that I can talk about is that success looks like change in that newsroom. Success looks like players who are black having representation in decision-making positions in that newsroom to affect how they are covered and how they are portrayed. Success means having black copy editors. Success means uh, promotion and retention rates within the NFL for black people that allows them to climb to the highest levels of the NFL. Because my understanding, and this is one of the things that we hope to gather should we get to discovery, is the promotion and retention rates among the demographic groups within the NFL. Because my understanding, and again, I have not seen the numbers, but I have been told that Blacks rank either at the bottom or near the bottom when it comes to promotion and retention rates within the NFL. So when someone asks me, what does success look like? It looks like changes, positive changes in all of those areas. And those are areas that are quantifiable. It's not some, you know, just out there philosophy or whatever. We can see actual numbers. That is what success looks like for me. And that is what I'm fighting for. And so that's why I say to people, you know, who do ask whether I win or lose this case I'm going to be all right because when I lay my head down on the pillow years from now, when I'm out of this game, I can say I did it for the right reasons. And hopefully I made a difference. I don't know if I will. I don't know if I won't. But I know in my heart I did what I thought was right. And therefore, I have a right to complain about what is going on because I'm willing to stand on that front line and fight to change it. Jim Trotter is a veteran sports journalist and a senior opinion writer for The Athletic. He's one of my favorite sports analysts. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time to talk to us today on Award. No, I thank you, man. Feelings mutual. I always enjoy seeing you and hearing your commentaries. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word.